Welcome to Fandom Power. Hey guys, what's up? It's Wes here for Fandom Power, and we're back. It's uh, week two of our eight-week series on The Mandalorian Season 2. And this week, I'm joined once again by producer Andy and uh, our good friend Hank out in Halifax. Hello, gentlemen. What's going on, folks? Hello. All is well. All's good in the hood, my friend. Chapter 10, The Passenger. Pretty interesting episode as far as I'm concerned. Uh, big tonal change this time around. For sure. Certainly. Um, it starts with a bang, I'll have to say that. Yeah. I guess for me, when I'm thinking about the whole tonal thing, like it's it's weird. You know, last week I had mentioned how I thought that uh, the Marshall played out like a mini uh, mini movie, like a three act thing. Yes. And once again, I'm looking at this episode, and it's like, yeah, you know, it it ha- it follows that same three act structure, but the acts are not necessarily evenly spaced, like. The first act still feels like, you know, it, it could have very well have been an epilogue to the Marshall. For sure. It's kind of like a Bond opening. You know how there's yeah, like the end almost, of a, eh, end yeah. of the story. They hit their ground running and then they sort of get into the next story. Yeah. Um, we all agreed we really loved the Marshall last week. And then uh, I, after we went away, <laughs> there was a couple things that uh, came up in my reading that I'm like, oh, my God, how did I miss that? Um did anybody notice first time around that there was a change of aspect ratio in the episode? I did I, not. I did not. Neither I, did I and until I read it. it and I went and I saw it and I was like, how did I miss that? I know. I did the same thing. So we, I did find myself watching this episode going. Looking for the technical stuff. Film tricks. And to the point of I was like, I'm afraid I'm going to miss like some crazy plot. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I was like, my head was all over the place trying to watch yeah. this one. So. Uh, fortunately I did watch this one, uh, I guess on a technicality, I watched it three times. Uh, I took your advice and I chucked on the, uh, descriptive audio and the subtitles at the same time. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So that really helped when I was making my notes for the episode. But, um, yeah. before we dive into this week, one other thing I meant to, to say last week, you know, how season one had sort of set this, um, precedent that every episode Mando gets shot. And then I'm like wait a minute, he went the whole episode of the Marshall and, and never once got shot. It's true. I think I mentioned to you that I guess the, the Marshall filled that role. He did. Oh, <laughs> did he ever? He got, he got shot in the early yeah. flashback. Oh, big time. But this episode more than made up for it. Uh, he's back. He's, uh, you know, <laughs> he's a bit of a blaster bolt magnet in this one. <laughs> yep, certainly. So uh, The Passenger, this one, oh my lord, I got to look it up because I didn't write it down. This one's about 40, uh, 41 minutes, um, directed by, now I don't have it right in front of me. but Peyton Reed. That's right, Peyton Reed. So uh, Peyton Reed, for everybody who doesn't know, was the director of both of the Ant-Man films for the MCU. So cool little that uh, suddenly nugget. suddenly explains a lot. Cool little nugget there. Okay. Yeah pull my notes back up here before I forget where I'm going with it. Yeah. So again, we have this continuation of where things kind of left off in uh, the Marshall with um, Mando on his way back to uh, uh, Tatooine to uh, try and find the next clue. But uh, 
hey, that's something else we talked about last week too. And I think I'd even mentioned like, what happens if there's no more clues? What does he do now? Uh, and that turns out to be the truth that there is no, he doesn't have any other leads. So yeah. it's true. So he's sort of really flying by his seat now. Uh, yeah. And talk about flying by the seat. How about that opening sequence with the uh, speeder bike and the uh, the rope trap? I completely juxtaposed to how slow the friggin' speeder bikes moved in the opener. Oh, the yeah. Opener. They were crawling the whole episode. So yeah. He's, he's wound it out. He's he's sort of done with Tatooine now. He's trying to get the, the frig out of here. Yeah. Because you guys noted, like, how are you guys having a conversation on these Oh, bikes? I know. Like, <laughs> how do you have a conversation when you're doing, like, in my mind, they're doing, like, 200 miles an hour, right? Certainly. And now you can you can actually hear the bike winding out. Like, yeah, the big time. Wind of the bike. Big time. I could almost feel, <laughs> as those guys were setting that trap, I could feel my chest tightening, like, oh, this is going to suck. <laughs> it's true. And yeah. uh, I sort of like the way it was, like, a just a, a very rudimentary trap. Yeah, like really low tech. Basic stuff, like Ewok style. It's almost like, you know, like uh, in the, um, oh my Lord, what is the story I'm thinking of? Like in Robin Hood, the merry men are just camped out waiting for guys to drive by on like their carriages and like, hey, give us your money. It was almost, it was almost that simple. The old version of the, what the sand people would do, just like harassment. Camped out on the ridge, (laughs) taking pot shots at the racers. (laughs) <laughs> oh excellent point though i should uh i just rem- cued myself to a point i had no idea until i had read that they hired uh we talked quite extensively about what we loved about the whole development of the same people and the cultural stuff and the language and that's right they hired a deaf actor to play one of the same people and he uh developed that language as a yeah, real was- a real form of sign, sign language you sent me that article and that, that was amazing. Actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, it, it does go back to, you know, the way that they did things originally and like the way people would just invent whole languages and it just really gets such a cohesive feel. And I really liked the part of the article where he said like he was trying real hard not to have it to separate it from American sign from American sign yeah. language and, and be more steeped in sort of a desert. You know, he did, he did his research. It's, it's oh, totally. Fantastic. Yeah. And just amazing to know that, you know, I mean, a lot of people would would criticize and it's part of that, the culture we live in now, but everybody is critical of something. And as soon as, you know, somebody makes this overt uh, gesture to be inclusive, people are all over it. But I, for one, thought that's an amazing inclusion and, and rightly so. There should be more of that. And if you're going to develop uh, a, a sign language, who better to go to than people who are using it every day? 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah, for them to say, like, oh, yeah, here's a race that's been surviving for thousands of years. There's got to be a cultural attachment to that. Of course there is. I mean, it's not like it just, you know, evolved out of nothing. Yeah. So I guess we can uh, talk a little bit about the um, the ambush itself and uh, uh, what happened in the course of it. Because, I mean, there's some, there's some interesting uh, – uh, well, not only is there, again – this overwhelming odds that Mando has to overcome uh, in the fight, but there's also some uh, interesting comedic beats there. More and more, he's giving me Spider-Man vibes, and in this scene, literally, but uh, thematically, he's he's always having to use his intelligence or his wit in in lieu of brute strength or actual skill at fighting. 
yeah. to get the upper hand. And so when the uh, the character when he shoots the the tether out and and pulls back the gun and ducks and knocks yeah. the guys out, yeah, yeah, real big Spider Man vibes. Oh, me too. I thought those were really cool, really clever, like you said. But it seems like every time that Mando is is faced off against, uh, at least when it's close up, it, it's always like the odds are not in his favor. Like it's always the deck is always stacked against him and he's always this underdog. And so I think that really lends itself to like some of the, uh, the brutality in his style because he knows that he's got to, he's got to be able to subdue these people quickly. And you said it in the recap, like it's, um, he's earning every, Oh my God. Yeah. Is he ever? (laughs) Yeah. 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 He's got to work for it. (laughs) Yeah. But um, yeah, There's a line of dialogue in this where they say after the after the crash and they they go hard, they tumble hard. Yeah, they do. There's that little uh, with the jet pack and uh, manages to land upright. That's kind of cool, you know. Like Mando never falls. Um, the child obviously lies lands fairly hard. But there's a line yeah. of dialogue where the, the characters that did the ambush are like, "Get the child, get so the now, child." That, yeah. For me, I was like, "Oh, those are bounty hunters." Yeah, uh, but they but now they're working for the the Empire. Because they, you know, they they they've been tracking him. They know the child, you know. So that that made it a little deeper for them. these weren't just thugs that were ambushing somebody to get, you know, maybe some supplies or something. Yeah, they had a target. So that makes that a whole sort of deeper scene. Yeah, it really were they does. For Boba, were they working for the Empire? There's Who knows? Kinds of cool stuff going on there. I see. I went the other way, and I actually maybe it's because of the the dialogue that he had with the last one, where he's like, "There's a lot of salvage here. We can make a deal." I just mm-hmm. took it for granted that they were kind of just bandits out on the on the road but when you say that no like they were going after the child that they are bounty hunters that makes way more sense alternatively though one of them could be like a main bounty hunter and he just picked up a couple local goons yeah that's entirely possible too who are like get a sort of an alternate jowl vibe off that short guy we've seen so that that iron sort of toothy mod look we've seen that before and i I, I kind of and I couldn't find it. I thought it was in Solo, and I scoured Solo for it. I I, I couldn't quite pin it down. I thought, thought it, it was in Force. That's Force what Awakening. I thought too. And but no, I it's at not that him. And it wasn't that. Is it possible that it's one of the the side characters at the market when Ray goes to uh, sell her salvage to Uncara Plut? Maybe it could be. I don't I, know. I wasn't willing to go through like almost nine. No, hours me of neither. Trilogy, but I knew but I know it's there somewhere. I knew it's I had seen that familiar. before. Yeah. Maybe masking at his castle. Oh, that's entirely possible too. Could have been on that casino world for all I know. <laughs> yeah, it's really. Very familiar to me. But um, until he 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 speaks Huttese, he says Yoto. Um, yeah. And so I thought he was a Jawa until that, but it could still be a Jawa. <laughs> It's kind of because the the hood is reminiscent. Armored the side Jawa. is certainly diminutive. <laughs> uh, so I thought that's kind of a neat idea of maybe a Jawi Jawa bounty hunter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Entirely possible. It could lend validity to it because he's so quick to hand over this bounty for some tech. Oh, he 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 drops instantly back into bargaining. Yeah, 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 yeah. But again, though, I mean, is that because you know of his own nature, or is that because of the line uh, for Mando? If you harm the child, there's no place you won't be able to hide from me. Well, this is it. And it's it's not the first time Mando's delivered that line, but in a different format to many characters. Yeah, you know, yeah, absolutely. Right? Like, so it's a really good scene where he, he just says, okay, well, the backpack, 
and and knowing full well that the guy's never going to get away with the backpack. So yeah, and we we've even seen that before. Like you know, there's a foregone conclusion coming, but let's just see how we get there. Yeah, I I kind of wondered how he was going to let it play out because I I mean as soon as he started running, I'm like, he's just going to shoot him in the back. Like there's no way this guy's getting away with it. But then for him to uh, creatively uh, toggle the the wrist controls and and ignite the jetpack, I mean, it was just a little. There was a a comedic moment there that I just yeah. didn't expect. Yeah, and it it was that was a good comedic beat for me because you get to watch him go up, yeah, come down, but no, the, <laughs> no, watching jetpack. the child watch him do that, yeah, actually yeah, see yeah. him go up and come down. We see you see the beginning of him going up out of frame and then slamming back to the ground, but you watch the child watch him, yeah, and then you get this uh, again the the writing is astute and the acting is astute because you get this Han Solo shrug from Mando as the child looks up on him to say like, what, what the, what the heck, man? What did you do? Why did you do that? Han Solo shrug and you get to see the, uh, the mask emote again. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And there's a close up there. And as you mentioned before, I don't want to steal your thunder. No, go for it. Still covered in the crate vial. Yeah. So that was a thing for me that I really enjoyed. And again, in that whole, this isn't part of the world building, but it lends itself to that in the sense that there is a there is a sense of continuity that is absolute throughout this show. And it I love and appreciate that that they didn't just like, oh, okay, he's next thing, we're riding off into the sunset and we're pr- pristinely we're cleaned up again. No, yeah, no, he's yeah. still this like is... oh, he's covered in goo. <laughs> That's right. It lends itself more to a novel than a big time. TV. Big time. So I have to wonder. Does Mandalorian armor come complete with air conditioning? Because man, was that a long walk. Uh, I, I I sort of toy and I you know again being a crazy nerd, I was like toying with the physics, and I had some questions like, could he not have uh, jet packed to Mos Eisley? Was the you got to wonder? Big? Yeah, is there a jet fuel restriction? I started thinking all these crazy thoughts. Right, um, he's got two jet packs. I was watching that, how he had uh, taken the, uh, I guess it'd be one of the control arms off the speeder and used it like a, used it like a, like a, like a bindle to sort of balance the load. And I'm, I'm like, I'm in my head. I'm like, well, there's the dragon meat and then Boba Fett's jetpack to counterbalance that. And then his back, his jetpack kind of hanging a bit lower to counterbalance the weight of the child on the front. Like it was well thought out. I mean, if definitely, and I, like you say, his he must have some kind of uh, of uh, air conditioning or pressurization. You think that there's some there. form of like even in the most rudimentary sense, some form of life support in there. Like even if I, it's I just, would, I would think so. And I know that there is in stormtrooper uh, armor, and certainly in uh, the Tie Fighter pilot armor. Oh yeah. Uh, but and and then you think, well, why did Finn have to <laughs> strip his armor? And in, in well, this is it. I mean, and he he's... wasn't wearing his helmet though, so it that's true. Seal. Right. And then we get the counter of that later on in the episode when we get to the ice planet. And then I go the other way. I'm like, well, is there a heating system as well? Like, uh, and it's it must cold. be internal, but certainly there's a scene there. I don't want to jump ahead too far. No. But where his his gauntlet is frozen to the dashboard, and you actually oh yeah he, he yeah yeah crack it off when he, yeah when they wake up from the crash. Yeah. Cool. So rolling back into Moss Eisley once again, back to uh, the cantina. This time though, I never noticed it before. Was that sign? always above the door 
there was a lit sign. I never noticed it before. I paused it. I tried to get Google Translate to do some of my work. I looked yeah. up Galactic Huddies. I looked up Trade Huddies. I looked up Trade Federation Languages. I looked up Orobash. I looked up Proto Orobash. And I could only find the first letter is either a B or an E. And I'm not even sure what language that was in. I went I no crazy idea. on that door, actually. <laughs> I mean, uh, Legends named the Cantina Chalmons. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that I don't think that's what we were looking at. And also named at one point after the bartender too, because they were yeah, that's right. Chal- Chalmans was named no, after the, the yeah, Wookie Chalman, but that's a Legends thing. So I don't know if there's any any truth to that. I was too busy looking at the Jawas fighting over a piece of scrap. It's true, and if the, in the descriptive audio with the captions on, it it actually qualifies for the first time I've ever seen anyway in canon. That the the language that Jawas speak is Jawanese. Jawanese, yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting that the uh, descriptive video uh, the the narrator references the the EV droid, but doesn't doesn't name it specifically, just EV droid. Yes. And again, looking at the Sand People, I mean, there's that nice contrast of like, oh, these are native, these are Nate, not Sand People, Jawas. Yes. These are native Jawas because they've got their traditional golden eyes, and I'm like, oh yeah, okay, so these are natives to Tatooine. But rolling back into the cantina, Andy, you picked out a little thing from the concept art and I wasn't a hundred percent certain because of the way that the, the, the scene was filmed, but in the concept art, they are sitting in the same booth Han Solo and Greedo were sitting in. Yeah. But yeah, I kind of, I, I did get that vibe. I, I didn't like, it wasn't the foremost thought in my head, but I, I did, that did sort of pop in and go, I wonder, but I, I didn't notice it in the concept. Art, it's so in the concept cool. art, but I don't think it's actually the booth they're sitting in. Yeah. Cause in, in the, the co- in the concept scene. art, oh, it, it shows her literally in the sitting in Han's seat with her feet up cross-legged over the table with the scorch mark on the wall. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. It's pretty nice. cool, but no surprise to find Pelly. At the cantina, engaging in some less than savory activities where she's now uh, engaged in a game of sabacc with what she refers to as Dr. Mandible. And and, and, may, and now the ant creature yep. in lieu of the director makes so much more sense. Yeah. A little personal nod there. That's fantastic. Dr. Mandible, to me, now they don't they don't say it. There's no reference to it. But back in Legends there was a race introduced called the Verpine and they were this anthropomorphic ant like race that, uh, well, they were introduced way back in what, uh, the courtship of princess Leia. So since 1994, I have to wonder if this is a, uh, a canonizing of the Verpine as a species. Now it's quite possible. It, It is reminiscent of a few other insectoid species, but this one is very, very sort of specific in terms of that. Well, this is the thing too. Star Wars has always been right from 1977. I mean, we're, I mean, you look at the original pre special edition scene in the cantina and you look at the cast of characters that are in there. And I mean, the, what do they call them? The, the Shista, the Shista Venon, mm-hmm. the Wolfman is like yes. literally an off the rack Halloween Wolfman mask. That's right. Yeah, so, I mean, it's no surprise that common everyday, uh, creatures and mythology have crept their way in there. And so, sure, giant ant, you know, why not? Yeah. see, She's such a good bargainer. Like, she's, you know what I mean? She plays Mando knowing that she's oh my God, yeah. and gets the guy to ante the bat up 500. Yeah. She's, she's sort of, 
hesitates and picks that number out of the air. You know what I mean? Like that may be not what his, his actual call was. <laughs> you said he was on a hot streak. <laughs> but then we get to find out it's actually is Sabak because she gets an idiot's array. Yeah. I, I went to Sabak right away just based on the shape of the cards. And I'm like, those are the same cards that, that appeared in solo. Yep. Fully. Yeah. So the deal is that Dr. Mandible apparently can provide a clue uh, and like you say, as long as the, the bet is anteed, he'll give up the information, which he does. I mean, even though he loses the card game, true to his word, he says that um, there's a contact uh, and the contact will meet you uh, at the hangar, which I thought was a really neat uh, thing because there's a I guess there's a, a wipe shot and we get to the uh, <laughs> get to the hangar and then we get this neat little close up of the, the Treadwell droid. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Using it one of its arms as a spit, <laughs> as their uh, I, I wrote it down in my notes. I'm like, cool pod racer engine barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. But yeah, so again, another little Star Wars nod with the Treadwell droid, which we've seen again. We saw them in A New Hope, and then we saw them in Empire. I think Han Solo actually like basically chastises one. Hey, or he yeah. or he holds one up to talk to it when he's trying to talk about leaving. Uh, Hoth, but there's one in Clone Wars too. On a yeah, yeah, yeah. So at the hangar now, we get introduced to uh, uh, our next new character, who's only ever referred to as Frog Lady. Mm. And I, I called her Frog Mom in my notes. And did it you? It just rolls off the tongue. Yeah. Am I the only one that thought that she looked more like? And maybe it's because the humanoid body. But my initial thought before. Uh, on the first time around, when I watched it, just for the sake of watching, I thought, "Oh, she looks like a gecko." Yeah, like the gecko. Yeah, guy. yeah, oh, yeah. Gecko. Yeah, I immediately started, and I'm a, I'm a maniac, so I immediately started looking up amphibian races. Sure. And, and there's there's plenty. Well, you sent me quite a few, and I I could not decide on any one of them. So no, some more of the, the rather than the visuals, their descriptions fit better. So yeah. I'm thinking maybe since most of the ones I sent you were legends, that yeah. again, it's maybe a, just an amalgam of things that they're trying to canonize. It's pretty cool. Though. Well, this is it. And I think for, for us as like really like lifelong star Wars fans who have been with the franchise through all of its mediums and, and all of its different forms, you know, we really thrive on this stuff, trying to figure it out. And it just, it makes me so happy that the producers and the creators are mining legends and, and the old EU and they're pulling stuff forward. It just, it makes me just, it's, it sounds silly, but it just makes me happy. <laughs> oh, absolutely. It's such a deep and varied fishing pond, man. Because yeah. There's tons and tons of stuff to pull out and pull out for years. It's quite crafty of them, actually. Uh, I agree. I agree. Uh, interesting point. So, uh, Frog Mom, Frog Lady, uh, is the same actress who bodied Queel throughout season yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, uh, uh, interesting voice. Uh, it's um, the guy who voiced the clones. D. Bradley Baker. That's correct. From D. The, uh, Bradley Wars Baker. Cartoon. I pulled that out of an article. Now, I don't know how valid that is. I read that, I read that from an article. As Did well. you? Okay, because I'm not sure what the validity is on that point. I mean, I listened to it as much as I could and I it's could not. Frog squawk, I well, know. exactly. <laughs> Speaking of frog squawk, um, <laughs> Pelly's, ah. Pelly's, uh, uh, go at it was pretty convincing. <laughs> it's pretty <laughs> great. <laughs> uh, 
you have to think maybe they've modeled the language around what she was able to do first. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> hey, can you do this sound like a like a frog? Like a <laughs> pretty great. Exactly. And uh, she, I think she also speaks. I don't think she speaks it audibly, but she certainly understands Doctor Mandible. So she's kind of a deep character. Yeah, and she really is. But again, I mean, if you lived on on uh, on Tatooine, if you lived. It, uh, what's what's the line from Obi Wan? The the uh, you'll never find a more uh, wretched, hive. wretched hive of scum and villainy. So I mean, if you had every denizen of the known universe strolling through, you might pick up a thing or two. It's true. It's true. So, Frog Lady turns out that she's got the clue, and she tells uh, through Pelly uh, that there is a Mandalorian covert one system over and it's on we've never heard of this place before the estuary moon of trask which is orbiting a gas giant named colibin now these are these are planets that i don't think we've really heard before no i immediately looked them both up and neither of them are on the maps no you will no exactly and according to frog mom uh, it's her husband who is uh, settled on Trask waiting for them, who has actually s- claims uh, she claims he's actually seen them. So that's the clue. We're headed to Trask. And uh, the yeah. plot point here is that they have to go at sublight. Yeah. Something about hyperspace. And this is fishy to me or amphibian to me. Ba-dum-bum. But something about hyperspace uh, will harm the, the eggs. And I'm just uh, trying to figure that out. I don't know. I just assume maybe it was the that they're so delicate that the transition to hyperspace would just be too much stress on them. But. Possibly the initial thrust. But at the same time, some time dilation there that could affect them. Maybe. I mean, there again, she did say that there was a finite amount of time that they had to be fertilized. That it had to be. Yeah, she says the equinox, but what's that? Seemed to be counting down in Arabesh too. Uh, container. I didn't really dial in on the container. I think the only the only thing about the container that I noticed was, and maybe it's me drawing conclusions, is that later on in the episode when she's pointing at the container, I think that the indicator on one side is like a temperature gauge, and mm. that the eggs are too cold, which is what oh, drives her yeah. out. She does wrap them up there. Yeah, she does. She does. Yeah. Let's talk about uh, Kaliban for a second here, because pretty sure <laughs> through all of the trailers that we've seen up to this point that uh, Kolibin is the world that everybody thought might have been Moncala. I'm not convinced, because they said it was a gas giant. So I'm not convinced that that world... Oh, sorry, Kolibin, yeah, would be the gas giant. Trask, Trask. Oh, uh, Trask, maybe, yeah. The, the moon world. that they're supposed to be going to. That could be. Where Frog uh, Mom's husband is waiting for them. I do know that they, they keep... Well, and there was Quarren fisher, like sailors on, on that, that boat. boat. Yeah. So that could be further along, but they do, they do lead you to believe like you are led to believe by the force awakened trailers that they're on Tatooine when it's in fact uh, completely separate. Yeah, of That's course. World. And they've done that, you know, like uh, the last Jedi, uh, it wasn't Hoth, but it was another ice world. So there's, there's that. Well, and even this um, episode, I mean, look at the speculation that uh, the ice world in this episode, everybody was like, is it Ilum? Because, you know, there's lightsaber crystals there, got, and that makes it... I got it... Ilum from the trailer, but now that I, I feel like they were just sort of woke up in mid-flight, yeah. and they, uh, having looked at the galactic maps that are at least available, yeah. there is some that are, you know, considered common, uh, canon, sorry. Right. Uh, that Ilum and uh, Tatooine 
in fact, nowhere near each other, not one sector over at any rate. No. And that Ilum is in the unknown regions, or at least on the border, quite close to Exegol. I found that kind of fascinating uh, on a whole other tip, actually. But I just fear that this is just another ice world. Yeah. Not and again, fear, but, again yeah. <laughs> they're quite common. Andy and I were talking pre-show here, and, and we were talking specifically about that, about this whole Ilum thing. And uh, I had suggested that this is just an unnamed ice planet that we've never seen before, but Andy had a different take on it. Uh, somebody had mentioned in what I read that uh, it was Maldo Creus again. The hmm. same ice planet from episode one. Of season yeah. one. In season one. Oh, uh, that's quite possible because we haven't traveled very far, especially at sublight. No. That's, yeah, that's very, very possible. Good but then call. we get into this whole thing where, and again, pre-show, and you can appreciate this, Hank, again, as a fan of all things Star Wars, and I'm going to use the role-playing game because it's been the most sort of meaty uh, when it comes to the details, but remember oh, the yeah. giant gazetteer that came in the in, in some of those books that laid out the 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 distance in hours of how long it would take to travel between worlds. I do. I don't remember any specifics, well, but I do remember that. But so remember there was, there was categories of travel time. So there was like, you know, within the same system hmm. within, you know, same, uh, same, uh, same solar system. And then there was same planetary, uh, planetary system. And then there was like, you know, another system within the same sector, but then going from, you know, two different sectors and it just got exponentially longer. That's right. That's right. And then suddenly in the Disney era of star Wars, uh, particularly, it seems like it's just, a you know, we can go anywhere we want to within a matter of minutes and they don't treat it like there's any real travel time. It's like, we need to get to like, uh, sending a, you know, a message like we'll get the resistance to come to, uh, to help us at, you know, at Maz Kanata's castle. And they show up like instantly. It, it it certainly gives you the impression that very little time uh, occurs while in hyperspace. I feel like it's one of the great inconsistencies of Star Wars, you know, and, and there are a few, but this is the one that really, you know, kind of gets up in my craw the most. <laughs> I I have a theory that we'll have to talk about on another show, but just quickly, I, I, I have a theory that the, the entire New Hope after, after Luke wakes up and R2 has gone, yeah. From the moment Luke wakes up to the and R2 has has run off and he goes to find him until the Death Star explodes yeah. is less than 24 hours. It's entirely possible. I mean, yeah. uh, I break it down for you, but we'll do it at another time. That would be a cool <laughs> one. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to talk about that. So now Mando's not happy because he feels like this is just a uh, he says I'm not a taxi and Pele's like, yeah, I know, but uh, that's the condition. So yeah, the line, uh, can you can you vouch for? Her? I'd vouch for her with my life. <laughs> yeah. How long have you known her? I just met her ten minutes ago. <laughs> I'm a good I'm a good judge of character. I met her ten minutes before you walked in here. <laughs> what? <laughs> but the other part in that scene, the look coming from the child. Oh, I know. So there's, who was it? Was it you? Somebody sent me a message with a reference to a billy goat. <laughs> Wasn't me. It was you, Hank. Uh, I think it was me. Yeah, uh, he's part uh, Billy just, Goat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's easy. He'll eat anything. So certainly there is a uh, a longing look there that suggests that maybe <laughs> there's a you know something savory or unsavory about to happen. But and I, I was talking with my wife about this, and this could be the, the sort of the 
indicators of a, of a of a a darker side to this character because he keeps eating them even though he knows it's wrong. I know. And so I and this is where I get his alignment shifting. Yeah, uh, yeah. That I talked about before into a like a chaotic sort of good. Yeah. Uh, if you use a D and D analogy, but yeah, because I mean, we really don't know that. I mean, and it could just be. I'm hungry. It certainly could be, but there is there is recognition that this is a precious cargo towards the end, and he's <laughs> he's still popping them in his mouth. Like uh, I don't really care. There's a, what three separate occasions where it's like, don't eat it, that. It, you know, no. My wife immensely. How many did you eat? <laughs> it bothered my wife immensely. There's another side to this though, and like, and if we strip out all of the morality of it, and we look at it just from an entertainment perspective. We go back to season one and uh, there's that whole moment when we all laughed at it, when he literally devoured a frog. Certainly. And then but there is, there's another also episode where he spits episode. one out. Right. He, yeah. The, the kids like kind of shame him into They're spitting like, it out. Ooh. So he spits so, out the frog. But then here we right. are with frog lady and frog eggs. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, ha ha ha. organic to move from live frogs to big giant frog eggs. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I mean, certainly we see Yoda making snake stew. So there's a precedent for reptiles and amphibians in their diet. Sure. Yoda might be a Jedi master, but he's not a vegetarian. This is it. Yeah. 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 This episode of Fandom Power is brought to you in part by CollectorsPlatoon.ca. CollectorsPlatoon.ca, organizers of the annual Toronto Collectors Platoon Toy Show. Check out CollectorsPlatoon.ca, the Canadian home of Ian's display accessories, specializing in action figure stands for figures of all scales. Visit CollectorsPlatoon.ca today. Uh... So throughout the whole trip, there's this begrudging, yeah, we're going to do it. And, and we see Mando at least trying to, you know, contact her. I found it funny in a, in a, in a, like just a silly kind of way that like he basically gives her the flight attendant briefing. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, yeah, it's true. He was almost too loquacious in this episode for me after having been so laconic for a season in an episode. Do you think so? He spoke quite a bit in this episode. Sure he did. I'm going to talk uh, when we get towards the end of it. I'm going to I'm going to come back and talk sort of thematically about some of the stuff that I picked out of this and see if you picked up on it, too. But um, there is a lot of talking and there's there's a lot more nuance here than what I originally gave the episode credit for. And it was only after my second and into my third viewing where I really dialed in on it. But Mm -hmm. there is some major character development here that maybe the casual viewer doesn't pick up. But we'll get to that. Very cool. Okay. So there's this language issue and it, it's pervasive throughout the whole episode where it's like he wants to talk to her he's and he's trying to communicate with her and she's frustratingly trying to communicate with him and they try to find a common ground and he got a minor enemy mind vibe kind of thing. Almost. Yeah. 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 A minor tinge of it. And so they're, they're resolved that they're going to head out on their way. So Mando plots a course into the Razorcrest Navicomputer and decides that, you know, hey, I'm going to get some rack and uh, suggest that she does the same thing, only to be awoken uh, a short time later by an alarm from the cockpit. And when he runs back up to the cockpit, we get this cool little, uh, it's just a couple seconds, but um, you get a shot of the uh, of the uh, console, the panel, mm. and uh, there's a very clear, there's a couple of Orbesh uh, phrases there and and this week I got them. <laughs> yeah, you beat me to the punch this week. <laughs> I got them. So it's uh on the bottom right hand side in in the big red part was uh, proximity alert. 
And then the main, uh, the main message across the center of the screen was incoming calm. And uh, it is, in fact, an incoming calm from the two New Republic X-Wings that have uh, pulled M-1 up alongside. Yeah, so the M111 thing, I'm going to get to that because I, I mentioned it to Andy today coming into the studio. And I'm like, am I stretching? Like, am I really pulling at strings here or is I this really? So. Yeah. So we're introduced to a new character we've never met before, and it's Captain Carson Teva. Now, Captain Teva is played by Korean-Canadian actor Paul Sun Hyung Lee. Uh, and if, uh, if anybody who's not familiar with him, uh, he's the lead in Kim's Convenience on the CBC. That is true. So Andy was saying that um, apparently he's notorious for going out to conventions and cosplaying in Star Wars cosplay. Oh, really? Yeah. He is so, now officially in the 501st. So I'm That's wondering. fantastic. Which garrison has claimed him, though? Is it the Toronto garrison? I believe it is Toronto. Is it? Okay, that's cool. And again, we're uh, Trapper Wolf, played by Dave Filoni, makes another appearance. He's regular in his own show. Well, here's the thing, and I picked this out. I had to go back this morning because I was thinking about it. We know that Filoni is instrumental in in sort of his own little uh, way with uh, Clone Wars and Rebels. Uh, of all the characters that he's created, some of the most uh, aff- the affections that he has are for Commander Wolf, Clone Commander Wolf. Mm. Hence, you know, his character. No surprise that his character's name is Wolf. But I went back and had a look at season one, the uh, episode seven, the, the, the prisoner. And uh, he's got a new helmet this season. I don't know if you oh, cool. picked that out. Yeah, last season he was wearing a just a uh, mostly plain white with some blue and uh, gold accents uh, for the New Republic logos. But this episode, it's a brand new helmet. It's mostly gray. And uh, did anybody pick out the big wolf logo on the front of the helmet? I did. I did not. That's yeah, fantastic. yeah, yeah. No surprise if, though. If you if you see pictures of him in a lot of his, like, you know, just pictures of him. Appearances. On social media and stuff. He, he does wear, like, a lot of wolf t-shirts. He's got a wolf thing. I mean, I was yeah, saying. Yeah, he does uh, have a wolf thing. Rocks the cowboy hat. All yeah, the with the wolf pin. Yeah. He's, so, yeah. he's the kind of guy you kind of want to have a beer with, eh? Uh, I agree. And I mean, yeah, add that one to my list of uh, celebrities I would like to meet. I think he would oh, be yeah. cool to have a, uh, you know, even a 10-minute conversation with. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so uh, Wolf and uh, and Carson Teva, and the the uh, exchange of dialogue that they have is kind of it's kind of funny. It's almost like it's almost like getting pulled over by the police. <laughs> Do yeah, you know what I mean? Like hundred percent that vibe. Yeah. Like, but friendly, pretty friendly police. Like they well, that was gone either way. There. It's like they were Canadian police. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's kind of true. It's they very, got, they it's got pulled over true. by the OPP. <laughs> That's right. And so, yeah, no, and they're, they're, you know, they're going to let him go. He's trying to talk his way out of it several times. He, um, interestingly enough, I got this feel, he tries to pull a bluff. And mm-hmm. it really reminded me of the scene in episode four in A New Hope on in the Death Star. Uh, we're fine here. Everything's okay. How Do you know you? what I mean? Yeah. It <laughs> had that same that kind well, of yeah. vibe, right? And uh, immediately they sort of don't fall for it. No, no, and, they don't. There's a neat piece of dialogue there that, that gives us some indication as to the world, too. So he says, oh, I'm, uh, I'm pre-Empire Surplus. Pre-Empire I'm not required Empire to run a surplus. beacon. And they say, well, that was the old law. And now 
this is new republic territory yeah so here's the new laws so that's kind of that's kind of telling to me about how things are changing in the galaxy or at least in the sectors that are controlled by the new republic yeah and i mean they make a point of like they mention you know when we're patrolling the rim so mm-hmm. whereas the empire you know you were led to believe that the empire didn't have as big of a, a presence in the outer rim the new republic seems to be projecting a little bit more now is that because you know we talked about this on the last episode like what's up with the imperial remnant with them sort of with the leadership in disarray are there more and more of them turning to the outer rim as a place to hide and that's why the the new republic's presence has stepped up they're patrolling so mando has a line of dialogue when he's talking to frog mom and he says you know traveling through sublight is very dangerous because of pirates or warlords yeah yeah yeah. immediately got he meant imperial warlords yeah i never put that together but now that you say that that totally makes sense to me yeah yeah and then of course he even throws in the uh May the force be with you. <laughs> yeah, and it's smarmy too. He actually yeah. delivers the line awesome. He yeah, delivers yeah. it smarmy. <laughs> like there's no, I don't believe in this shit at all. But hey, if it gets me out of a traffic ticket, I'm all for it. <laughs> That's exactly what it was. Uh, and then Teva demands that, you know, send us a ping. You know, you're not running a transponder. Not before he plays with him a little. I know. Okay. Have a nice day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, one more thing. Yeah. <laughs> just like a canadian uh, i love the delivery it was almost colombo like oh and one more question <laughs> <laughs> did you murder the chick yeah but again in the bluff it's like oh i'm not sure that that hardware is online uh, oh we'll wait <laughs> oh, he's still trying to store, so, yeah he's still trying to think his way out of it yeah and i mean he gets to the point where finally it's like oh i'm not going to be able to bluff my way out of this and so he fires up his transponder and then uh what does Wolf say? He's like, uh, Carson, can you uh, change over to channel two? <laughs> One of my favorite scenes, actually, that I've, I've seen out of all the episodes, I have to admit, there's parts of this episode that were a little iffy for me. but Sure. Um, one of my favorite scenes of all the episodes, all 10 I've seen, is when they both lock ass foils. Yeah, when they uh, change their posture. Like, I, yeah. I got goosebumps. And it, like, even though in this situation, those are the bad guys. Yeah. It's, it gave me goosebumps. It's like when, again, using the traffic stop analogy, when you're sitting on the side of the road and a second cruiser pulls up behind the first one and you're like, "Uh uh-oh, like what the hell is going on? Yeah. Yeah. So they change their, they, they change their posture and they're like, Hey, we're out here patrolling for uh, Imperials. And if you can't confirm uh, that you're not a Imperial, you're going to have to follow us to something called the outpost at Adelphi. Adelphi. Another name that I don't think we've ever heard before. I thought I looked that. I, it sounds familiar, possibly from a Clone Wars episode. Maybe. Or there's so many random reference drops to yeah. names of places. What's funny is when you start, when you're using resources like Wikipedia, and you start plugging in these names, like this information is going up so fast. Like sometimes the only reference is the episode itself. So you're like, well, that's not helpful. I know that that came up brand new reference. Yeah. So, I mean, certainly like when you're looking up pilot names and stuff from the show, like that's all you're going to get, but always look for a legends reference for at least I do anyway, to see, is there some basis of like origin that is this another pull, uh, you know, pull back from the, the tickle trunk and we're going to haul it forward. But I couldn't find one for Adelphi. So interesting. Could just be a throwaway name. Maybe not. Maybe we'll go back to it later. Who knows? And then we have this like, pure eye candy top gun esque uh basically it's a car chase in space we got a runner 
Yeah. Delphi is a Greek word for brother. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Um, get the chase scene, which I thought was like it was pure eye candy for me, and I I loved it. I wished it would. Complete I could vibes of Bespin's uh, of Solo's approach to Bespin to Cloud City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Except with speed. <laughs> oh, big time. But all while maintaining that Canadian cop, like, don't make us do this. Come on. Yeah, the, there was this. Yeah, like they're pleading with him, like, come on, man, just pull over because don't make us shoot you down. Like, it's not what we're here for. And, you know, you're not really that bad of a dude. We don't think anyway, but. And he tries to get crafty again and he cuts the engines and drops backwards through the clouds, plummeting. Very, very crafty. Really um, good stuff. And then flips the engines back on and drifts and, like, you know, does these, like, you know, the Poe Dameron style kind of maneuvers. Big time. The, you know, so it was kind of neat to see that. And then actually my favorite part, again, I know they're, they're the antagonists in the scene, but he breaks out of the clouds and they're still right on his tail because after oh, yeah. all, these are Republic pilots, man, in X-Wings. And they are X-Wings. <laughs> you yeah, can't yeah, get yeah. away that fast. Exactly. And I mean, Frog Mom is, you know, there's no denying she's like sheer panic mode. Like she's, she's about freaking out. Eggs. Yeah. <laughs> what I really loved about it was the the moment where Throughout the chase, I don't know if you picked up on it, but like you c- visibly, you can see and hear Mando's heavy breathing, whether it's a a, a, a mixture of G forces and adrenaline, but it's there and it's palpable, and it just it brings me so much more into the moment. Like this is a real stressful moment. No, certainly I did note that. I I, I noted it in the uh, in the scenes coming up uh, in the caverns that we're going to talk about. I noticed yeah. that a lot in that in those scenes. It's- He's putting out maximum effort. Oh, big uh, time. Just to stay alive, always. Big time. And I mean, this whole, you know, again, pre-Empire surplus and then like people like, oh, Razorcrest. Wow. That's like, that's like old Republic. You really get a feel for it. Like he's pushing it to the limit. Yeah. Yeah. He is putting every, every ounce on, on, on his sleeve. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. And then we have this, uh, 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 I don't even want, I don't want to call it a crash. It's not, but it's not a, run. we get a mini trench run. Uh, yeah, we do. I was super excited. Why it's not? Somewhere between a crash and a controlled skid, I guess. And it was the, and he, he, he cuts the engines, turns around and then fires the engines to actually to slow break. momentum. Yeah. Yeah. As a break, some kind of Tokyo, braking maneuver. Tatooine, I wrote down in my notes, Tatooine drift. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, and then of course that, that icy crag that he kind of slides in under and then that nice, really cool shot, like in terms of like the cinematography with the two X-Wings and they kind of pass by and then there's some, some chatter about, you know, break up and you go North and we'll cover more ground that way. And I'm like, Oh, that's, that's cool. So you, you're kind of given that. And I thought about this throughout the rest of the episode. It's like, those two guys still got to be out there. Like they wouldn't give up the search that easily. No, No, exactly. Which we find out later to be true, but. Not before we get into what I would call the third act of the episode, the crest being too heavy for the uh, the ice sheet that they now are sitting on, uh, the ice buckles, and then they are like literally dropped into this like cavern, and uh, it's not a nice landing. <laughs> it's a, and it's a, there's a little nod the way it drops. It drops the asset in drops, and then the, it lists side to side, and then drops through. It reminded me of the. Uh, the way the Ewoks took out the chicken walker. Oh yeah. The, the awkward sort of stop motion that, but it looked like they sort of mimicked that, but in a way cleaner fashion. Yeah. Almost. I don't know if it was a positive nod to it, but it felt like it. 
Yeah, and I think that's kind of the uh, one of the more pervasive sort of things throughout Star Wars is you know not necessarily the visual callbacks, but the emotional. Yeah, the yeah. emotional callbacks. How like if we it, jump back a bit to when the uh, the the scavenger or whatever took the, the the backpack and he lands the backpack in front of him yeah. and then it falls over in the dirt. It was the same comedic beat as R two falls. Oh my god! The Jawa shot. Yes. Yes. The exact same comedic beat. No, it totally was. Perfect. I appreciate it's, that stuff. If you can take me back to being 10 years old again, it's a win. Yeah. It's hard for me to believe stuff like that isn't on purpose. I I totally believe it is on purpose. And I mean, but the true success, I guess the mark of success is that we do have those feelings and we do connect to our, our inner child and we are transported back to that place where it was like, oh yeah, this is what I love about, about Star Wars. Besides, you know, space wizards and lightsabers and all those other things that we love. But yeah. Oh, no. So the crest smashes hard. Oh, big time. And uh, everybody is uh, knocked out. And yeah, that's something we don't see because he gets punched in the head routinely. Yeah. And it doesn't. So there's a there's a moment here where his head smacks down. You go, oh, well, maybe Beskar has its flaws. I guess so. His, must, his head must have wrapped off the inside of it. Well, I mean, realistically, there's this whole thing when it comes to those types of injuries. There's a there's what they call a coup contra coup, right? Where uh, whatever your um, it's like when you have a car crash, when your seatbelt tightens up, mm-hmm. everything that's inside your body is still moving forward and that's slams against you know the the in the uh, the your chest wall and your cavity walls. Yeah, yeah. So it's the same thing. I mean, if you're in uh, dressed up in a tin can and you're dropped on your head, your head's still rattling the inside of the tin can, right? That's right. And your brain's going to hit the side of your skull. For sure, for sure. Plus he was like you say he was physically labor trying to pull those maneuvers and outrun oh, those big guys. Time. Like he's driving a 57 Chevy and they they all got Corvettes. Well, it's almost like he stood up in the seat when he's like hammering forward on the control sticks and he's like just shoving them as hard as he can, oh, right? Oh, yeah. No, it was maximum effort, like you say. So that also lent to the fact that he just blacked out at the end. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, but again, his name's on the show. So, I mean, Mando, yeah. Mando's got to come through. So um, he wakes up and... So more of this character development that I was alluding to, and what does he immediately do? He starts looking for the the child and the eggs, you know? Yeah. Doesn't even, he's still talking to her. She's unconscious and he's doing everything that you should do as a first responder when you're, you know, talk to the people who are injured. And he does that. Doesn't put a hand on her to say, are you okay? But he's still talking to her and trying to go through the motions and and do what's right. Is, is Is she not? like fetal on the ground in this position yeah she's like on the floor of the cockpit i think doesn't he help her into a chair Mm, i don't recall maybe he says he says yeah i gotta find you blankets to keep warm and then yeah 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 and for me there was another really great little detailed nod that his armor is frosted over everywhere yeah and did you notice that it there's a subtle change between a couple of the scenes where it's like slightly frosty to really frosty Yes. You know, almost that gives us that sense of, you know, passage of time and and that that things are moving. Yeah. Like there's a little bit of snow buildup on the crest now. Yeah. It's getting. Yeah. 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 I mean, so like dropping into the main hold and like the first thing we see, you know, even though the camera is pointed at at Mando's face, we can see the snow floating around inside the main hold. And you you automatically have this sense of like, it's bad. It's real bad. It's really bad. Yeah, this was one of the first times I felt like serious tension. Yeah. Like I'm like, you know, 
you can not know how they're going to get out of a situation and just go for a long for the ride. But I actually, my mind was trying to race ahead of the script. Going, yeah, me too. What are we doing here with it? With this huge gaping hole in the ship? How's he going to get out of this? Depressed. Yeah. I was starting to speculate. We're going to have to come back to this planet to go fetch the Boba Fett armor at some point. Oh yeah, maybe, sure. Maybe there's going to be a race for the armor. And I, so my mind was actually going crazy just from that little hole in the uh, hull plot point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, the hole is not so little. It's like oh, a no. big gaping gash that's... Mendo size. Yeah, it's it's the New size York. of a person. And so the, the, we're left in this this sense of like, we don't know what to do. And he even says as much. He he alludes to like, it's really bad and we'll wait till nightfall and then I'll have a better idea of what our prospects are going to be. So until then, you know, let's have a nap. She does protest in her... She does. Play. And She's that's kind of where she makes that indication and, and gesture towards the the canister, uh, the egg canister. And that's where I kind of thought, is, there, is she like indicating that that's a, like that's where I get the that's a temperature gauge. Temperature. And I, I got from that scene either a temperature gauge, like you said, uh, more so after you said it even. But I was thinking maybe even a countdown to the to the equinox the or something. Eggs are, eggs are good. For. Oh, maybe and she certainly makes this uh, matronly. She sacrifices her warmth. And, yeah. Uh, wraps the. Uh, Yes, she wraps the canister and then and then kind of leans her body over it. And then you see a nice little uh, uh, scene of, of uh, the child doing the same thing as he crawls under. Crawls man, up uh, on a man. Yeah. And snuggles into the nice warm Beskar. <laughs> well, again, yeah. Again, talking about that whole lone wolf and cub thing and mm. getting into that, that, um, that uh, character development that I was talking about really comes through in the next scene because there's a rude awakening. And uh, it's kind of cool. Nice little callback to the voice of Richard Iowade from the IT crowd who voiced Zero. Zero. So Frog Lady has now tapped into Zero's uh, vocabulator and she's now using him because, let's face it, not only is he a, is he a murderer, but he's still a protocol droid. So well, tapping she, into his language ability, she's able to finally communicate with him. This This freaked me out for the character a little bit. I didn't get all these vibes offer him. And maybe it's pretty standard fare to be able to hack a security droid, get past sure. the protocols, know how to pull its vocabulary and know how to access the correct language and then get it, you know, maybe that's standard fare. Maybe. But she seems to be exhibiting some skills that I would attribute just role-playing game-wise yeah. as being like seriously niche. Big time. And it made me start to actually question the character. Really? Like, why is she luring Mando to Trask? Oh, I don't know. It made me start thinking like that. Well, she pulls out a couple more things later on. Are you still of the mindset that there's more to her that we're going to learn later? Well, so I think so. And we, we can get to that further because there's some things that she does soon that make me go, oh, oh okay. why did you make those choices? Okay. And then kind of go, well, we're definitely going to get her at the beginning of the next episode. Yeah. Why did she get two episodes and that friggin' cool Marshall only gets one? He gets one. I started yeah. thinking like that, right? Yeah, yeah. But I think that, yes, I think that I'm I'm overthinking it a bit, but I think that there is more to her than meets the eye. That may very well be true. There's not a lot of this story that actually moves the main story forward. No. The, the plot points that I get out of the whole thing, if I were to take the whole thing in a nutshell, the plot points that I get are we have a tentative alliance with the New Republic. Yep. And that we we have a uh, a um, a disturbing trend with the child. Yes. And that we have uh, Mando sometimes is willing to balk at his 
his responsibility or his Mandalorian creed. And in this very scene where she wakes the robot up, she reminds him of that. Yeah. And it's like, does the average person also know about the Mandalorian creed? (laughs) So I think there's something actually deeper going on here. She's when you say that, that suggests to me that maybe it's not just the husband that's, uh, that's seen them. Maybe she's got some more, might be more at stake. She might have more knowledge than what she's let on. Right. Or she may be under duress in some situation and manipulated into being a puppet too. So, you know, there's all kinds of things made me start thinking, uh, because we haven't seen it yet, but isn't the slave hut, the slave one somewhere on Tatooine? Does Jabba have his own, you know, like could, could Boba Fett be following them? If it's not been scavenged by Jawas by now, Mm. you know, something, it just made it, 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 my brain is certainly percolating tons for an episode that, was uh, ostensibly a bottle episode. Yeah. You're listening to Fandom Power. Um, so this is where I want to talk about the, um, the plot point. No, it's not really a plot point, but this, uh, the character development aspect that I had referred to before, because it's in this scene where when she's finally able to talk to him and she, she insists that he keeps his word and that he, uh, carries out his end of the bargain. I thought about it for a little bit and, and especially when I watched it the second and third time, by the time I was done, I was very much of the mindset that you know, this really speaks towards Mando's development as a father. And I say that because in the first season, he's so, uh, we, we established that, you know, he sees himself in the child as a foundling, right? And so he feels that sense of, of obligation and kinship out of that to maybe not have this kid, you know, uh, grow up the same way that he did. So he he does on some level take it on himself to surrogate this child, right? That's right. So now we're seeing we're seeing an evolution of that. We're seeing more character growth where we've had an entire season devoted to uh, his protection of the child. And he's very much just that. Like that's his primary focus and everything. The child, the child, the child, the child, the child. And only now that we're face to face with another parent who questions his morality on being a parent. Why is your dedication to your child more important than mine? Nice. And so only in her insistence that he keeps his word and only through that canting of the, the Mandalorian code does he kind of go, yeah, you're right. And even though it's actually throw the, uh, or is this just a story that's told to children? Children. Right. And so so there's actually, that's good. Very good. Yeah. She does actually throw that right in his face. It hits me as a, as a parent that that's where it comes from. And I mean, I totally see that like as a parent, you know, we'd do anything for our kids and I, and you can see that she's, she's as dedicated to her, her clutch of eggs as he is to the Mm -hmm. child. And, and only in that moment does he realize that there's more to it than just, you know, the mission that there's, there's a more familial, element to his relationship than just getting it to its own kind it's true and he's still coming to terms with it in light of what you're saying he's yeah. still because 
even says, fine, but this wasn't part of the bargain. So he's still yeah. resisting, yeah. but he knows what he has to do. It's begrudging, but it's getting through. And so, like you said in our last episode, you know, he's a malleable character. And this is a very good example of that, even if it's, you know, his own, like through his own sense of self-discovery. Yeah, no, that's really astute. Wes. Yeah, I, I really dug in on this because originally I, I was kind of like, oh, this feels like one of those throwaway episodes that I talked about in, in the first season. But after mm-hmm. watching it a couple times around, I'm like, you know what? It may not drive the narrative, but it sure does, you know, develop the character on character a huge level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, that, no, that, that actually... Uh, puts parts of my heart at ease when you say that and I examine it in that light. Yeah. Because there are parts of this episode where I was like, this may be my least favorite episode so far. Well, there's only two. So, I mean, it's a 50-50 chance. No, I mean out of all 10. <laughs> oh, out of all 10. Oh, okay. Yeah. But we'll get into that. And sure, then, sure. You've actually given me more to think about. And cool. Now, <laughs> I'm, 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 a, I'm wavering. But he does, he, <laughs> he does, like you say, begrudgingly. He gets up, he grabs the toolbox, and it's like yeah. this isn't part of the deal. Out into the cold. And then there's this moment where like, I, I didn't catch it right away. I, I wasn't, to me, it was almost like a couple of seconds. Cause next, the next, there's a wipe and then mm-hmm. he's welding and I'm like, oh, okay. So he's like literally pulled out the tools and he's working on it right now. But later on realize that no, there has been some passage of time. Yeah, he's but got some frost build up there. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the visual cue that he's been out there for a while. And I didn't pick up on that right away. It's so, a nice wipe too, because they pan up to the sun still being up there. Yeah, the sky beaming through the hole in the cavern. Ceiling, yeah, and then they wipe right to the the arc of uh, the welder. Yeah, I thought that was a nice, uh, like just filmmaking wise, nice wipe. And in another kind of parental, you know, way, like like playing out in the driveway when your dad's working on the car and your dad's yeah. attention is split between the car and you. Hey, yeah. come here, come here. Make yourself useful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the child's over there doing the, he's doing, literally, he's doing the, dad, look at me, dad, 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 look at me, look at me, dad, dad. And he's not interested. But no, as soon as he walks away, hey, where are you going? You know, yeah. so like and there's. He calls him kid in this episode yeah. quite a few times. And I really, I'm starting to like that. Because I wrote down in my notes, uh, why, is he, why hasn't he named him yet? I don't know. Like, you know, like, it's sort of, inst- like, I guess I'm not Mandalorian. <laughs> but it's instinct, you know, you name your children or your pets. Or, and I use the example, and maybe this is bad, but even Poe names Finn about 30 seconds after he meets him. Oh, I know, eh? Yeah. So, what's your um, name? FN2187. So, you'd think he would have given him just a cash, but so I think that they're moving towards, hey, kid, which is nice. Yeah, there's uh, a, and I would take that course. as almost like a de facto name because how many times, even in my notes, I get tired of writing the child, the yeah. child, the child. Oh, I know. I don't want to call him Baby Yoda. No, neither do I. Right. So, the kid or kid is. It can work for me. Mind you, if we ever get to a point in the series where, you know, they, they pull the wool, uh, yeah. pull the sheets back and it is a Bill. clone of Yoda, I'm going to be mm. like, damn, <laughs> boy, did I ever call that I will, wrong. I'll high five myself. Yeah, you should. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think he's actually, and this may be looking forward to future seasons or later on in this season, uh, but he's st- he's starting to be way more. Uh, and I, maybe this is to sell toys too, but he's starting to uh, enunciate and vocabulate, if you will. A I lot got more. that too. The child, you mean? He's yes, and he's almost starting to say words. Almost and in that scene in particular, he's saying the same sounds. Yeah, multiple times. I got he's that too. To form words. Yes. Yeah, I appreciate that too. Like in terms of development, 
Will we see form, fully formed sentences? We talked about this before, like where do we think he was age-wise? And I think we came up with somewhere under under two human years. But I mean, if he's getting to like that point where he's forming words, like that's some serious development. That's right. And that's uh, that's the perfect timeline like like that we'd start to develop words sure. between 18 months. And, and, you know, some kids are more advanced, some are a little yeah. slower. But on a timeline, it's, it's average that sort of age. Yeah. Develop language skills. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so I guess moving forward in the episode, uh, once he goes over to see where the child has gone, you know, he now realizes that something is afoot. Yeah, uh-huh. He wasn't just waving, uh-huh. he was pointing. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Cool. I at first didn't get that that was mom frog's, frog mom's footprints. I didn't either. Because they weren't frog shaped. No. Sorry. Well, I mean, you... I thought someone had come and gone. I, and I so watched I this. Like, uh oh the second and third time around I, I paid attention to her feet and they are very much like lady, like st- like, like fashion boots almost. Yes. Yes. With a slight heel, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe black. It's true. <laughs> totally fashionable. Yeah. But yeah. Might have been Timberlands. <laughs> Another little use of Manda, uh, Mandalorian technology. Mando uh, toggles a switch on his helmet and he gets a thermal, uh, a thermal imaging display. And we can see that the footprints uh, are emulating some uh, a heat signature, so they must be fresh. Uh, and they use that to uh, track uh, Frog Mom. And where do they, it turns out they find her? She's gone off. Uh, I don't know if she's. This is the thing. How did Frog Mom know enough to to want? Did she just blindly wander out in that cave network, or do you think she had some kind of built-in thermal vision? That possibly says, hey, there's heat there maybe that that could be we, there's a lot of things there this is where we start to we dove a little bit into campiness for me. yeah um but it's it's possible that she could sense the warmth in alien ways that we we couldn't be sure about certainly possibly. She's, she's found a, a safe place and a warm place for herself and her eggs well natural hot spring yeah it just maybe just a little convenient for the purpose of the episode but then in the same time I I juxtapose that up against the uh, all the monolithic pods and why were all those monolithic pods there and maybe because that's a heat source that's why yes. they're there. That's you no, know, that makes perfect sense in lieu of the the next scene. Yeah, they did. If you watch it, uh, like I watched it like six or seven times, and yep. if you watch that scene, you barely get the pods in all the transitions up until the child actually interacts with one. Yeah, until they, you see him subtly in the background, but they're not really part of the, when you just kind of write them back, off. You actually get the the experience that oh my god, there's hundreds if not thousands in this room. I wrote them off as being uh, stalagmites of some kind. Mm-hmm. Until like, uh, Lauren's been doing a lot of fungus photography and stuff, yeah. cool stuff like that. So they they reminded me a lot of mushrooms. Oh yeah, yeah. Even in the way, that, yeah, they really did. Especially having that uh, fleshy quality to them. Mm, you know? I have to admit, when he first peeled it open, I thought we were going to get spores. Oh my spores. god! I thought he was going to, you know. Well, so here's where I go back to the episode having a big tonal shift, uh, tonal change from the the previous episode, and and it. Even within itself, we have this another tonal shift. And I'm like, this is like horror movie magic right here because I got this like, oh, my God, it's alien. Look at them all. Yeah. Well, that's the egg. It opens up like a face hugger. Well, exactly. And like yeah, you say, he, face he, he opens it up, plunges his hand in. It's 
the same color, the sticky goo, goo. proto, whatever it is. And then, of course, the, the spider being with its legs all folded up, when he shoves it in his mouth, it's like it looks like a little baby face hugger. <laughs> When he shoves it in his mouth. He eats eggs and all. Yeah. Legs and all. And then he's he's eating the goo after spoons. Oh, yeah. Goo handful yeah, goo. yeah. But then if you watch it again, and you might have already picked on up on it, but there's a there's a, a, a note of music, and then it repeats. And then it's so it's like a – it's so that the whole thing shifts tone right there. Yeah. With that 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 first music drop because it suddenly shifts into a horror movie. And oh, my God, yeah. with the music in that scene because it's very quiet. It's just sort of sound effects. Yeah. And then it's like this boom. And we get into yes. the, the cool soundtrack there, which lets you know, yeah, oh yeah, something bad certainly is about to happen, and it does. Uh, yeah, on a level that I wasn't expecting, and I, I can't figure it out. I mean, I, I said in my notes that that um, the child peeling open the uh, the the monolithic the a pod was mm. a, created some sort of cascade effect, and I'm not sure how that would happen, but kill a bee. Well, there you go. Since the pheromones, perhaps, and then suddenly the room, like they're erupting all around him. You you can hear again, not just that pulsating boom, 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 but now you're starting to get the ambience uh, is starting to build as the other uh, spider creatures are making their way back to the main or this, yeah, this cavern. Ones. Yeah. 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 And the kids vocalizing again, like, uh oh. Well, yeah. Now he's got and. In that vocalization, do you not get a sense of of panic, like ah ah ah, you know? No, sir. Yeah, no, certainly I did. It's gone from like you know, kid at the end of the driveway. Hey, dad. Hey, dad. It's gone to dad, dad. <laughs> you know. And what let's I mean? not forget that we got to this scene when Amanda was scooping the eggs out of the pond back into the container, and the child goes for one, and he's like, no, you know. So now, so the mom has got to be aware that the kid's been picking the eggs off now. At this point, I'm pretty sure she's got to count. Well, <laughs> pre-show, pre-show, we were talking about this and, and Andy's like, and, you know, had mentioned about at the end of the episode and, and I totally agree, but, um, you were saying just the admonishing of the kid. Yeah. Like he's caught him a few times now and it's like, no, don't do that. Yeah. 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 This is not food. Yeah. This is not food. How many did you eat? <laughs> yeah. I told you, I told you not to do that. Yeah, and, and there are actually in the scene when he's got it on his backpack and they're running away when he's carrying on his back. There are far fewer eggs. Oh, there totally are. Than the beginning. So let's talk a minute about the uh, the spider creatures because this is. Uh, I know it's only been uh, a day, but already the internet is buzzing with a difference of opinions, and and I have I have my opinion of what I think it is, which mm-hmm. I'm gonna stand by. Cause I'm that type of fan. I'm going to dig my heel in. I'm going to, I'm going to do some gatekeeping here and I'm going to say that this is what it is. And I don't care what you say. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. I think it's a Krikna. a Krikna. So that's the other opinion is that it's a Krikna. And we've seen Kricknas before in Star Wars Rebels. And I don't remember the name of the planet, but uh, they were present in season five when the ghost crew set up uh uh they set up their headquarters on that planet that was inhabited by the bendu the bendu played by uh doctor who um oh my god 1970s doctor who it's uh my favorite doctor who and i can't even think of tom baker that's it tom baker plays the bendu but the krikna so the krikna are there and the krikna as we find out in that episode or in those episodes of rebels are force sensitive and they feed on the negative emotions of other creatures. So when the ghost crew shows up and then there's this 
this panic over these creatures, it just feeds them. And of course they want more of that. Mm. Um, and later we find out, you know, uh, Ezra who has this, uh, affinity for animals and creatures, um, and Canaan are able to train the rest of the crew to just, the, they're part of the environment. They're just, that's what they do. And they not give them anything to eat. Yeah. If you don't give them anything, then they'll leave you alone. But so at the that's same, one of the things that influenced me to think that these were Kirkmans because everybody in the scene is panicking. Oh my God. Yeah. 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 So, and they are chasing the panic. There's a definite departure though on the visual style. And for a couple of reasons, one, all Krikna in the animated series are depicted as being six legged. The, the large white spider in the Mandalorian episode is eight legged. The smaller mm. ones are six legged, but the larger, uh, I don't know if that's an evolution or a growth could be one or the other. I don't know. Uh, is definitely eight legged, but uh, I also know that there's, there's that rebels having all of its stuff based on the, the Macquarie, the Macquarie art art. And then you reminded me about the, that Dagobah painting. Yes. Facing off against the knobby leg white spider, the knobby white spider. Yeah. And that I looked at that and it reminded me, and then I thought, well, sure. But the, the chicken walkers have bulbous eyes in rebels and they don't in any of the other mediums. So there are stylized versions sure. of, of things that are still Canon. Like they they exist in the same universe. It's just that we're painting rebels with a different palette. I think so. But I never thought that I didn't notice the eight and six leg thing. I did not notice that. I'll have to re-examine that, but nothing in that led me to believe that they weren't so different from the Krikna that we saw in Bendu's world. Yeah. Atola, I think it's called. Yeah. I'm not sure. I know that looking at that painting though, and that's where I really kind of go. I wonder if this is a, a, is a, a, a full canonizing of that painting. And, and I want to say that the knobby white spider uh, moniker is probably a legends title that was given to it. Probably. Um, but because that's the only one there is, that's the one I'm going with. Certainly. But looking at that that painting and then putting it up against what we see on screen, and they're virtually identical. Uh, I agree. I do. Uh, agree. I don't feel that these are Krikna. And I'm I'm gonna just throw another thing out there too. Like, if we're talking like uh, environmental adaptation wise, I mean that world in Rebels was a warm planet, and this is a cold planet. So it's not impossible that they're they're the same. And maybe on some level they're even related, but I think that this is a, a, a unique species unto itself. I mean, that Macquarie painting was uh, presented that creature as a native of Dagobah, which is very much a rainforesty, uh, swampy. I'll you halfway and say that you are correct, that that is actually exactly what it is, the knobby leg spider from from Dagobah. Yeah. But I will, I will see, I will raise you, that that is indeed the exact same thing they were going for with the Bendu spiders. Possibly. I hope that there's, because that was such a visual impact, I hope that there is a, there are other chances to have the more screen time with them, whether would, it's would, on a, I think we'll probably get some more detail in the gallery episodes that are forthcoming. Oh, I hope so. They were quite uh, illuminating in the first season. I really, really hope so because that is a detail that I really want to, I want the official word on that. Go ahead, Andy. If it's taking anything from the Alien series, there could yeah. be stowaways for future. Well, you want to talk about that for a second? Because, like, I'll go back to that painting. I read an article. It was it was a just a little Reddit thing. Uh, I guess you can't really call that an article. I read a Reddit <laughs> that, you know, had suggested, you know, did 
did Ridley Scott and the, and the people uh, that made Aliens, I guess it'd be James Cameron at this point, Aliens, did they use Macquarie's concept art as inspiration for the egg-laying portion of the Xenomorph Queen? I'd have to hold that up against the Geiger paintings, though, because yeah. Geiger did all the concept work for Aliens. That's so true. Put them up against one another and check. I guess it would really boil down to who did it first. And I mean, that yeah. the concept... We're, we're Geiger and um, Macquarie contemporaries. Maybe. The, the, there's certainly small circles. Yeah. But when you look at Hollywood, sometimes like like uh, like Scorsese and and um, and and George Lucas and yeah. uh, uh, the, the other guy Coppola <laughs> all living together at Coppola. college writing movies together. Wasn't it Coppola? Uh, Coppola, that's the one. Yeah, thank you. But I mean, uh, Empire—that's concept art for Empire. So conceivably, that was painted as early as seventy-nine, seventy-eight. Certainly. And Aliens our first uh, depiction of the Xenomorph Queen isn't until, what, 1984, 85? Oh, that's yeah. a good point. Queen. That's yeah. a good point. So maybe there's some borrowing. I'm not going to say stealing because it's certainly it's, it's an inspired. But, I mean, you look at that painting, though, and you see the, the knobby white spider is literally spitting out um, uh, one of those monolithic egg pods from its, uh, yeah. I guess, a proboscis kind of mouth <laughs> opening yes. thing yeah and it's very reminiscent of the uh the shoot <laughs> of the the egg sack on the queen well when the giant one breaks sort of through and starts to be, to join them in the chase yeah uh, and it shoots that web as they cut through the the one yes. hallway and close I, I, I got an ice web vibe from that yeah it, yeah it, it could kind of look like crystalline web it web did could look crystalline in that environment but oh it did it did so now we have this big, what I call the the run and gun sequence. Like mm. it's almost like talk about the tension and the tension builds. And it's this like that you can't keep track of how many of these spiders are on screen at one point. There's just so many of them. And it's no, again, you're like blasting and blasting. And oh, blasting. my it led God. Me to think, is there an end to the charge of a blaster clip? Like, is there, you know, how's yeah, that? yeah, yeah. Think about that. To the point where Frog Mom drops down to all fours because she can apparently move faster if she literally leaps like a frog. So I got to back up for just a second. Yeah, go for it. Uh, so the scene when she's in the uh, the water and yeah. uh, there's the imminent threat of the spiders. Yeah. Uh, and she jar jars her tongue out to grab her clothes. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And then suddenly she's dressed. Yeah. <laughs> and so for I, they nearly lost me there. I have to admit, I went. Well, that's ridiculous. Because of how campy. fast she was able to uh super the tongue thing was too campy for me. Uh the the getting dressed rapidly was like, Oh, we, we missed a plot point here, we gotta get her back in her clothes. I thought yeah. that was super campy. And then when she started to hop like a frog, yeah, I, I almost like I was like, Oh no, no. And I was like, the next I I I don't need green rabbits from Marvel Comics, man. <laughs> I don't need that. <laughs> But a lot of what you said about the character development has, has has swayed me back, you know, and I can I can appreciate that for what it was. Her species certainly can move faster like that. Yeah. They do have prehensile tongues and maybe the ability to dress super fast. Maybe. So I will forgo all the camp yeah. for now. So frog lady's superpower is to get dressed real fast. <laughs> so, you know, you, you, can, you understand where I'm coming from. I though. do. It sort of drifted really close into yeah. mayhem for me. But then it did get pulled back. So I do. I can definitely. Uh, I can meet you there with the the whole dressing, uh, the dressing part where it's like, yeah. But again, if she's just wearing one giant like 
let's call it a, a house coat or a robe. Sure. sure. It's not outside the realm of possibility, but no, I, I agree with you. Line. I do. I, line, I do agree. Day, it's probably still for kids too. Oh, for sure. For sure. Well, I guess if you want to call me a kid. Well, sure. it has to have, yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, definitely me too. Yeah. yeah, yeah but yeah. it has to, with gray hair, but, but it has to be about, you know, it's probably appealing to more and more and more people. And that wasn't so slapstick, uh, goofy as like, uh, you know, C-3PO with a droid body. Or sticking so, your tongue in the, uh, in the electro binder. Sure. Yeah. So, like yeah. Just, yeah. No. It was reminiscent of, but, and also what you said about who the director was, it made me sort of appreciate the comedic beats a little yeah. more. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, at the same time, sharing that horror beat of, you know, the naked female in the hot tub right before all hell breaks. Oh, yeah. You know what? That's funny you say that. That's funny, actually. Yeah. I never put that together. I was so dialed in on the on the spiders and the the uh, alien uh, slash uh, pitch black vibe that I got out of that where this overwhelming number of of creatures where you're like. I began How to worry that the frogs were going to hatch this? and we were going to have a whole other kind of situation. <laughs> uh, and then they started eating the baby spiders. No. <laughs> That's just silly. What am I saying? Um, he pulls out some detonators. He does. He pulls out some detonators, uh, the same detonators that he used to take down the Outland High in the final episode of season one. But if you see in the opening scene where they get flipped off at that trap while he's flying down, the Cape flies back and you see he's restocked on his belt with those. Yes. Nice. Yes. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. Good, uh, good grab, man. I didn't mean the same detonator. I meant the, I guess the same variety because they certainly had that same, you know, flat on one side and round yeah. on the other. I thought he's very adept at deploying them because he pulled three off in one hand and mm. was able to singularly, pitch them with a very reasonable accuracy. <laughs> yeah. He blew the top of the cavern off first that dropped the thing to the ground and then the sides blew up and pinned it and killed it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but did he kill it? I don't no. think so. I think it's the same one. I mean, I, I think it's the same one as well. On no. the second and third uh, viewings, I, I kind of stopped it and looked at it and it looked like yeah, cause it had the burn marks and the, down the facial yeah, region down the proboscis. Is that what we're going to call it? I don't <laughs> think that's right, but I That's like what it. I'm calling it. Here's something I really liked, and uh, I had to I had to decide was the tank nearly empty, but then I I attributed to the cold that when Mando went to use his flamethrower, it did not immediately erupt like we've seen it in every other episode. And mm-hmm. I thought, oh, that's cool. It's like starting a barbecue in the winter. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Like yeah, it had no, to wa- it had to warm up. Entry. Because all you saw he was used like it twice, once off camera, and it was sort of the first time was like a delay. Yeah, you see him hold the gauntlet up, and he's looking at it, and you get this little tiny like pilot light, blue, blue flame, yeah, and then yeah. whoosh! I'm like, oh, okay, so to me that was an indicator of how cold it really is. Yeah. So they get back to the ship, and the one spider pins his hand like Spider-Man to the side of the ship. Yes. And he catches a spider in the other hand and crushes it. I thought that was a fantastic visual. So at that point, we're led to believe that they are relatively fragile. At what point do they cease to be fragile, though, and become this, like, like how long does it take them to grow into that big... Size of a small moon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I wrote in my... I put in my notes, it's the size of a land speeder. Oh, yeah. You know, it's huge. But there's this... Oh, the whole run and gun thing and the whole tension. I was literally sitting there watching it. I had one hand on my face and I was like, I could feel like I could feel the tension in my own chest. It's like, oh my God, they're not going to make it. 
Yeah, there was. Yeah, I did get that from this episode a few times that there was a lot more tension. There's a. I guess it's the the Custer's last stand moment where they're the three of them and the egg canister are in the cockpit and he's just the. Do you remember the scene in um, what's that um, the Brad Pitt zombie movie? World War Z. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Yep. Or World War Z when they were coming over the wall. Yeah. This and there's mountain. No end. Yeah. There's this mountain of spiders and it's just never ending and they can't get the door shut because they've they've literally wedged their bodies into it. And the, you know, a the few of them dancing were, on the child's head. Yeah, like a few the, get in and it's like, oh my mm-hmm. god, they're done for. And then finally he's able to to get the door shut with the but here's another uh, the reason I think there's more meets the eye about frog mom. She pulls yeah. out a Blaster and with deadly accuracy. Yeah. She went off the bed like William Tell and then blasts the other two. That is true. Another kind of skill that's not just mom based. No. But I mean, look at it. Even in, again, there's a, you know, there is a bit of a visual precedent for lay people to have some skill with the blaster. Yeah. You know, I Agreed. mean, even Princess Leia with her holdout blaster is able to bullseye a couple of stormtroopers on the Tantive before she's taken out. You know, and that's from a that's from a culture that grew up with no weapons. Oh, but they talk about how in Rebels she's been training for years. She's I, a, I guess so. Yeah, an excellent marksman. She's yeah, seen I think about her marksmanship in Rebels. I never, I forgot that she made an appearance in that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was sixteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we finally get the door shut, and it's this like, what the hell are we gonna do? That was and, a big alien moment for me, for for sure, when he burnt them all through the door and the door closes. Yeah. That reminded me of Aliens 2 or yeah. Aliens. Yeah, exactly. Uh, getting the door shut on the APC. Yeah, when she's running around with the flamethrower and yeah. uh, they close the hatch on them. That was straight out of that. So then it's a quick strap in and I hope this works. So he's really, he's kind of put, pardon the pun, he puts all his eggs in the basket of I hope the, <laughs> I hope what repairs I've done actually take and we can get out of here mm-hmm. and you think for a minute that maybe they're going to get away he goes to fire up the ship the engines fire up you're like okay good good they've got power now and then the big big spider one last jump scare yeah lands on the crest it forces it back down to the ground and it's like oh no but here's another one um how does how does transparent steel or canopy glass in star wars work i have the same uh, question because it punctures the canopy twice, twice and then and they fly off into space because it's the like, only part of the ship that he can pressurize. Do, you, do they show him replacing they glass? They do, they do. Sh- well, not replacing glass, but at least welding something over those holes. They do show that, okay. They do, okay. I, I missed that, yeah. So did I. That, that I, I, I went, uh, I'm gonna just, I'm just gonna look the other way because of how cool he looks, <laughs> yeah, very much so. Yeah. But it's, you know, there's this whole, uh, uh, I guess we can call it cavalry moment. I guess yeah. it's a cavalry moment. Fully. Yeah, Fully. yeah. You hear what sounds like to me. I'm. Like, you hear that familiar sound, and it's like that's an X-wing cannon. Yeah. Right. The whoop whoop, and then the the big spider kind of slides off the windshield, yep. and then it's this cacophony of like blaster fire. Um, he makes his way out with his pistol in hand, still. Yeah. Not shook yet. <laughs> like, no, no. Firing at me with heavy cannons. I better go check that out. Yeah. But you get that, like, still in that sort of horror movie uh, oh, vibe yeah. 
where, you know, it's like that one guy who says, you know, that I'll be right back and uh, goes off on his own to look, you know, as he's carefully, I, I have this vision of like these, these guys in these movies walking down the hallways of these buildings and like at any moment, the, the, the creature could jump out at them. Certainly. Certainly. And there's one lone one crawling up the wall that gets a blaster yeah. shot. <laughs> yeah. And then we get outside and we're overcome with the floodlights. I wasn't sure if they were landed or just hovering there. Cause it's almost cooler to me if they're just hovering and they got the cockpits open and yeah. shooting with the rifles. Uh, turns and, out and that they're wasn't. They're, they're quite the good shot because they're picking them off. The, the they are. They are. And again, I, I loved, again, continuity and consistency. Um, the blaster rifles were the same blaster rifles that we saw the Hoth troopers using. And then again, the Andor uh, commandos. Yeah, it's the yeah they standardized that stuff through the video. Games, it looks so great. Really, it, it, it does really look. It great. looks fantastic. So again, going back to earlier in the episode where it's like Carson and Wolf will split up and we'll cover more ground, have now come back together and they've now they've found them. Well, chances and, are the uh, explosions let them back. Well, that may have played a <laughs> factor into it. Yeah, that's a good point. There's a mountain collapsing the, over there. The sort of the good cop role because now they've they've run his plates if you will and they know who he is and what he's done well he even says we ran your tags like he literally says we ran your tags yeah. <laughs> like, you, if that's not anywhere near this prison barge yeah the prison barge uh bothan five as it's mm. referred to but i like how that there's i like it and i don't like it at the same time because there's this tense moment where um you don't know what's going to happen you know it's like Hey, we ran your tags and we, we knew that you were there. And then he's like, is this true? And I'm like, it gives him an opportunity. And that's, that's a very much police tactic to get, they give you the chance enough rope to incriminate yourself. Yeah. Well, this is a very common tactic actually. And it's like, are you telling me that these guys have the authority to met out justice like frontier style? Like that's not very governmental. (laughs) Am I under arrest? Well, you should be, um, but then they take into consideration, you know, the security footage from the Bothan Five, and that he tried to save. Uh, I think they call him Lieutenant Davin. I think that's his name. Well, and they, they they literally do some quick math and go, well, you took one prisoner, but you gave us three, so yeah, I guess yeah, we're yeah. winning. And he he does say, I'll forego the bounty if you, <laughs> you know, like he's still expecting to get paid for the three guys he put in the cell. You help me uh, fix my ship, and we'll call it even. And, <laughs> and they basically say, you know, that when you when you try to bargain with a police officer, they always have a a different bargain. They do, <laughs> and, yeah. and and their bargain is a little bit more like fix your ship or next time we'll blow you out of the sky. Yeah, exactly. And that's very interesting to me because it, what it does is it strikes this tenuous balance between him and the new Republic. And I think you'll see the new Republic getting involved in his conflict in the future with the empire remnants. I think that's, yeah. this is a tenuous alliance now that we have. When we, uh, um, did we talk about, we talked about this pre-show. I don't think we talked about it. Uh, the helmet thing. No, we talked about it. Did we? Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, because this is where we really, well, that where really I really noticed. Yeah. 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 I actually went back, when I looked at that first season helmet, I honestly wondered like, and this is more of a production thing. Like they had the issue in the first season about not having enough stormtroopers. So they got the 501st to come in and, and fill out the ranks of those final episodes. Right. Mm. So when you're talking about your, your, your prop master, there's a limited amount of this stuff to go around. So like, for instance, in that first season episode all of the interior x-wing shots 
are the same cockpit setup, just different actors, right? Yeah, it makes sense. We just it's the same. It's the same kind of ship. We'll just reuse that. Certainly, I almost feel like they reused Wolf's helmet from season one and gave it to Carson. Like it almost has the, it has a very similar paint scheme, only they've added more blue uh, to it. But it looks very much like the one that Filoni was wearing back in season one. Could be. Anyway, I'm not going to go on about the helmets. It's a cool <laughs> thing. I love it, though. I love it. Did we touch on the, uh, what was it, the M111? Oh, yeah. Oh, so yeah. the Your thing. So this is me really stretching at things, and I and I don't know. I've asked both of you. I don't think you, it is. I've asked both of you if uh, if it is a stretch, but when when the uh, the New Republic shows up to escort the Razor Crest, Carson inter- uh, uses the call sign M one eleven. It's like Razor Crest. This is M one eleven. That's how he introduces them. And uh, I'm like M one eleven. What does that mean? So then I start. I wrote it down. Letter M number one dash. 1 1 M11. And then I'm like, okay. So then I wrote it out and I wrote M O N E E L E V E N. I'm like, money leaving? Is that like a nod at, at, um, at Paul's character in Kim's Convenience? You know, running a, a convenience store, money leaving. Anyway, I'll let you guys decide if that, uh, if that actually, if the dots connect on that one. But Hank, you had said there's a, there's a precedent for that too about pilot names. Yeah, certainly. Elo uh, um, Asti, uh, Abram's a big, uh, I think he's a personal friend of a couple of them. The but Beastie he's Boys. He's a big fan of the Beastie Boys. Yeah. And uh, the title, uh, the Hello Nasty album. Yeah. Elo Asti is definitely named after that. And I believe there's more. I just don't have them at the top of my head right now, but there are more uh, Beastie Boy pilot names, actually, <laughs> uh, named after Beastie Boy songs. I just thought it was interesting that, you know, his call sign might be a call back to a, his, uh, his most, uh, potentially his most famous role. It might not hit me, uh, the same way because I, I actually haven't seen the show. No. Well, it's in, I, I've tried it watching makes, a few it episodes of it. sense in terms of his profession. Yeah, for sure, for sure. For sure. But it's interesting, you know, that they do eventually let him go. Like you say, with that warning about how about you get that transponder fix? And he's like, after all, these are trying times. And, yeah, uh, very interesting. So, you know, we don't want to blow you out of the sky the next time we see no. you when we're controlling a sector. So my mind immediately goes to, what does he mean when he says these are trying times? What's he getting at? Because we have this nascent government that is trying to exert their influence. It makes me wonder, is the Imperial Remnant... Uh, is there more there than we're led to believe? Like it goes back to that warlord, yeah, uh, reference. You know, again, that whole are these guys as as pilots as line? Well, let's say they're line officers, like frontline police officers. Are did they are the are their times so trying that they have the authority to do that to just met out justice that way? Like I think they do, and only because of a really small detail on the side of Filoni's X-wing. Similar to in like World War Two, where yeah. you would have how many you know enemy planes you scratched off. Oh yeah, yeah. He's got Tie Fighters stamped on there. That's nice. interesting. It's cool Very that they allow for that really kind of cool. that level of personalization, though. Yeah, but it's like almost like when you when you put it in context with Carson's uh, rational uh, his rationale that uh, Din Djarin had, like you said, you killed one, but you gave us three. So like 
you know he, he literally puts it on a scale and weighs it and goes uh okay you get to go yeah so it's like is the new republic so fragile that they they're counting on those relationships with i don't want to say unsavories but people who are not who are maybe a little more gray like the mandalorian to side with them should something happen certainly especially with what i was talking about before and that reference to warlords and pirates yeah um and you even get the i don't know if you guys have encountered the star wars book it's called the star wars book i referenced it last episode but i didn't know the title i don't think and I've there's seen a bit it of yet. there's a bit in it about how the first order government forms inside the new republic right so they're like this open and encompassing style of government which reminds you of the separatists right where they let you know they let you maintain autonomy but you're part of the collective and so the first order was allowed to gain power and gain money and gain weapons and build a military all under the moniker of the new Republic. Well, that's where so my very tenuous. These are very trying times. That is where my mind goes. I mean, five years. So we'll assume that the uh, new Republic government sprung up virtually immediately after the battle of Jakku. Yeah. So really they've been around for maybe, maybe five years. Mm-hmm. And in that five years, things are, are so fragile. Like, it's a very pervasive, like, like you say, if the, uh, if the first order grew out of the new Republic, then it had to be way more pervasive than we're led to believe. And no, so absolutely, uh, in, in, in considering that you have uh canon, uh, not the ghost of Palpatine, but the, he had sent out like robots there. It's, it's right. The, um, battlefront game. That's right. That with specific information, like you go to the unknown regions you go to this sector and and round up all the star destroyers you can do, and you go here and take your flight of X-wing or uh, Tie fighters. This, yeah. You know, so he led specific orders how to rebuild the empire, how to keep well. going. Yeah. I find all that to be fascinating. I think we touched on it earlier too, like uh, talking about video game references that kind of may be happening, you know, concurrently with what we're seeing in the Mandalorian. But you have the mm-hmm. whole the whole Starhawk project from uh, Squadrons. Yes. Now that first, have you finished it yet? I have. Okay, so no spoiler. The the Starhawk is destroyed. That's correct. But they build three more. In the uh, Armada game. They build so in the lore, in canon lore, they build three more Starhawks, and in okay. the yeah. So going back to the Armada game, the Armada game very specifically states that it's a Nadiri Starhawk that was used in the final battle over Jakku to finally defeat the Empire. So. Are we going to see, you know, uh, any of that make its way into the show? Maybe. You know, who knows? They who are knows? they are weaving weaving quite the web, so. They really, really are. And I think. I've you, heard inklings of a new uh, video game on the horizon, too, that's supposed to be uh, more story-driven than a lot of the video games have been lately. Yeah. Um, I'm super looking forward to the new holiday special. You guys aware of this on the. Yeah, I heard that there's one coming. I'm yeah, looking forward Lego. to it. Yeah, that's going to be fun. It should be fun. And I'm super, super stoked, even though it's been pushed to spring 2021 uh, for the new Lego complete saga game with hundreds of unlockable characters. I, I actually love those Legos. I haven't played a Lego Star Wars game since the prequel trilogy, so it might be a good time for me to revisit those. They have a more open world feel now. They're not so uh, level to level like they were. More, less platformer and more. Feel. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. You kind of return to a hub, but the hub is a bustling center. Right. You know, 
but it it has a much more it's not so linear like uh mario style maps yeah it's much more much more open world so i guess as the uh as the episode closes off um we have everybody huddling in the cockpit and uh, they are able to get off world and uh, we have that scene now i don't know if this is the same scene we saw in the trailer uh, with the razor crest, with I the back, with the back door hanging open, yeah. and the side door busted open, and you're like, "Oh, they're really busted." Yeah, up. I did look at that, and it just seems like there's a lot more damage. Like they just added more damage in post. Maybe it does Maybe. look like the same scene, but there's a lot more damage in the actual scene as opposed to the trailer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're you're right on that. I just wondered if that was the same scene. Maybe it is, and like you say, it's there's because more... it's not the first time they've doctored trailers. No, no, exactly. <laughs> no, and, exactly. And let's just say that the crest is exactly what he said, limping to Trask. It is, yeah, very much so. So, I guess it's safe to say that moving forward, um, Trask is the next uh, next environment we're going to be treated to on the show. Maybe. Yep. Sounds like it. Yeah. Unless we take an unforeseen pit stop. Who knows? I mean... There's uh, one little detail that where he calls up the map and plots their route. Yeah. Um, and then I look at all the galactic maps I have uh, access to. Sure. And um, Tatooine is in the sort of bottom right quadrant of the outer rim, if you will. Yep. And Ilum is up in the top left yep. quadrant. Um. And so I was starting to look at planets. I was looking to see if there was anything even remotely close to those names in the sectors to either side of the Tatooine sector. I couldn't right. find anything. Yeah. Found some interesting things that we can talk about later. But Oh, cool. In the ship, he calls up the map. And, you know, Lauren was trying to turn my phone to say, like, you could just rotate the map. But I was trying to find sectors, the shapes that line up, because they're kind yeah. of weird shapes. But he's looking at the top left quadrant of the map. It looks that way to me as well. Where Ilum is. <laughs> but that is nowhere near on all the maps we have. And I don't even know if they're canon, by the way. I'm uh, still not going to rule out that we won't get to Ilum at some point in this season. Hmm. I still think the connective tissue is there. Although, if uh, is it uh, Sasha Banks? Yes. Uh, if her character turns out, in fact, to be... Sabine Renan. That is, in fact, the cloaked figure on that barge. Right. Um, we may not get there right away. <laughs> no, no, no. It's it's hard to imagine. There's only six of these left. Well, yeah, this is it. And I think that was part of part of my first viewing when, when I was still of the opinion that this episode might have been throwaway. It was like, oh, you, is this wasted? I I, I I did think that too, and I um, uh, a lot of what we talked about today is helping me feel less that way. It's a lot easier uh, to I reconcile it. That. I was like, wow, like if we only have eight hours to tell the series, why yeah. do we waste I know. an hour in a hot tub? And at a year apart, you know, between seasons makes it all the more frustrating. But, <laughs> you know, from a from a development point, like, yeah. They are writing a Mandalorian novel that is actually going to be in canon and tie right into Interesting. the... Interesting. Uh, and uh, I think they're coming up with a comic book line as well. So, so in other news... In other news this week, um, there's a rumor floating around that uh, a Boba Fett series may be yeah, in development. Yeah, I said that too, yeah. And the first thing I said to myself was, oh, that's cool. And then the next thing I said was, is this really necessary? I don't know. It's kind of like in comic book world when, you know, Venom's really doing well in the Spider-Man series. So they're like, let's cash in on this and throw out a six-issue Venom series uh, quick, real quick. 
almost too quick. Yeah. And I worry about that. Um, I know we had spoken a little bit in length about uh, Tamora Morrison and his yeah. um, his level of acting, and I, he's perfect for something laconic. Yeah. Uh, having just watched Aquaman, I was starting to cringe, going, "Oh no!" I know. Um, but then you pointed out his role in Spartacus, and I was like, "Oh, As, well, uh, yeah, absolutely, yeah." Opius, uh, the Doctore, and yeah. so really strong uh, performance in that. So that led me, okay, yeah, maybe he can pull off. Boba Fett, who is laconic anyway, and is probably more, uh, you know, less words and more action kind of thing. I know um, we talked about the the Mandalorian as being like going back to the lone wolf and cub um, reference, and how I'd said, you know, I would watch Space Dad and Child for an unlimited number of seasons, and that would be would. compelling to me. Yes, if they want to develop a Boba Fett series. To, to my way of thinking, the, the best, most effective way to do that right now in light of what we know, give me a limited series, maybe a single season that tells the story of Boba Fett escaping from the Sarlacc to the point where we see him in episode uh, uh, chapter nine in the Marshall. That's all I, I want to know. That. That's I all I want. I can also handle possibly delving into the, the younger years of Boba Fett. And I sent you the picture of... Uh, oh, Daniel Logan. In, in the cosplay. Yeah, it looks he's great. He's actually been pushing. He, he's quite active in social media and pushing the fact that he is Boba Fett and yeah. ready to work. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Um, and he looks great in the armor and he looks great as a sort of like a 25 to 30. He does. He's very passable. Yeah. And we talked about what Boba Fett's age would be. So I want to touch on that too because I, I realized that um, – when I had sent you those numbers, the numbers we were kicking around, I mm. failed to account that Attack of the Clones is year one of yeah, the, so the war, like, not year yeah, three. So we put him at thirteen instead of eleven. But it only pushes it only right. pushes his age two years. So That's I think right. when we we had we had settled on by now, he should only be thirty six. Well, he should mm. only be what thirty eight. And then right. you know you look up. Well, Tamir Morrison is. Uh, fifty nine. <laughs> that's not that's not ridiculous for actors, you know, in Hollywood to do that. No, certainly um, they've been uh, pushing the face tech technology yes. uh, here and there, and there are rumors that we're going to get some uh, legacy characters in the Mandalorian with that face technology. Well, I certainly I would not balk at having those characters show up. They There's definitely a, add. Uh, Mark Hamill's been pretty vocal about the election, mostly on Twitter. But oh, yeah. he said, I can't wait for my new dental surgery uh-huh. to uh, <laughs> just so I can stop thinking about the election for a while. But then people are speculating, is he? Is that so that, that he looks more like <laughs> maybe? I don't know. I don't know either. Seems like a serious thing to undergo <laughs> for for just to look like yourself when you were younger. But well, you know, there's a play. You made a play for Mark Hamill in a in an uh, in a roundabout way when we were we were chatting uh, offline yesterday about how you know through no fault of his own how quickly the show would end if Mando had have handed over the child to one of those pilots. Yes. How uh, fast? Yeah, I did that, forget to talk about that. Like, yeah, that's, that's that's the end of his quest, and he doesn't. Yep. And for me, more more so, less so that the show could have ended there, and more so that we, he is so close to the quest and doesn't yeah. know it. I mean, uh, the the armorer did say, you know, uh, uh, Jedi specifically referencing Jedi as right. being so his no way people. He could know that the Jedi are in control of the New Republic, I don't think. But he must know who Luke Skywalker is. Well, I mean, again. 
bringing up, going back to the Star Wars story group, uh, if Wedge Antilles can make mm. an appearance in Squadrons, you know, and have uh, Rogue Squadron show up to do something in the background, I mean, you can't tell me that Wedge Antilles does not know what's going on with Luke. And that was my direct line to that. That was these these two Republic pilots who probably report in some fashion to Wedge Antilles, yeah. who is through the Rogue One or through the Rogue Squadron now. He's like the head of the pilots of the of the New Republic, and rightly so. That's legend, yeah, and rightly so. Um, so my my line of thinking was: Baby goes to pilot, pilot goes to Wedge, Wedge goes to Luke. Story over. Yep. Yeah. Very. It's not, that's uh, not a crazy leap. No, it's not. But it's funny though, like. Uh, going back to, and this is something that's come up in Star Wars mythology before. It's like, how did we go in the span of a single generation to um, to just ignoring the thousands of years of history that the Jedi are, are are reliquated to legendary status and like mythology, like they didn't exist. Well, that's very true too. And you yeah. also you get a thing that we never got before, uh, especially from Frog Mom when she says are the stories of Mandalorians just stories told to children. Yep. You, you get that about the Jedi as well from the yeah. last Jedi. Yeah. That there's new stories about Luke Skywalker in the future going to be told because now they re- re- put him back in that like uh, godlike status, if you will. Yeah. So is there two sides of the world? Like you grow up listening to stories about Mandalorians or you grow up listening to stories about Jedi, but I yeah. would think that it's probably more broad based and that there are stories about both. I don't want to. I don't want to make the comparison as I don't. I don't want to stir the pot. But I mean, mm. one does not have to look very far south of our border to see how this kind of thinking can happen in a single generation. You know, like the yeah. denouncing science and you know, like the whole. I mean, just look at the the political culture. You know, that's going on south of the border right now, and how split the the United States is in their ideology. And it's it's pretty. When you look at it that way, yep, I can see how uh, in in a single generation how an entire truth can be un untold. Yeah, um, I think it was a Hitler quote. Please forgive me, but if you're going to lie, tell a lie and tell it loud and tell it often. Something, yeah, something yeah, along yeah. those lines. And so it is. It is easy to see how uh, a, a people or a culture or maybe even a galaxy could be uh, subverted. Absolutely, and when you uh, misdirection, when you put it back into a, a purely Star Wars context, and what the propaganda machine must have been doing in the uh, the the immediate aftermath of the Clone War to vilify and and criminalize, you know, like you the, see that the Jedi. Solo. Yeah, you see that in Solo. You see the the they're rounding up dissidents. They're they're at like the average, you know, just pick a spaceport, and the, the they're looking for people that are. Uh, you know, dissidents that they're no, involved you're right. in something other than the empire. Uh, yep. Right off the hop, right off the hop, their totalitarian lockdown sort of uh, mentality. Oh yeah. Big time. Well guys, I think uh, we've hit on everything that we possibly could have for uh, chapter 10, the, um, the passenger, anything else you want to touch on before we uh, wrap it up for today? I think we're going back to Trask. I think we're going to get a little more frog mom. I think there's more than meets the eye to frog mom. I'm going to go on the record now and say that her droid reprogramming skills and her blaster skills are going to parlay into something a little bigger. Well, I look forward to uh, either confirming that or blowing that out of the water. Either way, I've been enjoying the ride and I will continue to enjoy it for the next six weeks. 
Thanks for having me, Wes. Six more weeks, my friend. And uh, hey, let's drop a little teaser right now. We talked about this. Uh, you and I talked about this uh, earlier today. I sent you a message last night, actually. Um, if and when the Obi-Wan Kenobi series gets off the ground, uh, I'd like to come back and uh, and do a play-by-play on that as well. So I already got a working title for it. I think we're going to go something like uh, Fandom Power Presents from a certain point of view. Couldn't be better. Yeah. Uh, pencil me in for anything you need me for. That's great. Well, I certainly look forward to uh, more collaborative stuff because this has been a lot of fun. And uh, that's it for me, guys. We'll see everybody uh, next week. And uh, may the force be with you. And also and with you. you. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to Fandom Power. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Stay tuned for our next episode where we'll be talking about another one of your favorite fandoms. Fandom Power is a Sawcast production. Have you ever wanted to start a podcast, but you didn't know where to begin? Maybe you'd like to try podcasting without having to invest in any recording equipment. Do you have an idea for a show, but you're not sure how to develop it? Let Sawcast Productions take care of all of that, so you can focus on what it is you want to say. Sawcast Productions offers podcasting solutions ranging from recording and basic editing, to fully produced episodes complete with all the audio embellishments of a broadcast quality show. When your show is ready... Sawcast Productions can distribute it too. Contact us online today. So, what do you want to say? <laughs>